maybe this verbal love letter to John Herdman will be <laughs> what, what incentivizes him to, to, to jump on the podcast for uh, one of these episodes. But I just want your thoughts before I, I go into full infatuation mode. Uh, what are you? What are your thoughts about how John Herdman has done so far since being handed the reins to the men's program after a very successful stint with the women's program? Right. I mean, when he came in, I think a lot of people were questioning, is this the right move? I mean, he came in following Octavio Zambrano, did he not? Mm-hmm. And I think he was starting to get some results as well. And people were questioning, is this the right time to make a switch? And honestly, you could. we could not have asked for a better manager to take the reins. He's great at motivating the team. You can tell right now, there's actually a brotherhood. You can see it when they play. There's actually that's a brotherhood. That's not lip service. They all say it, but it's not. that's not lip service. No, that, you can see it when they play. And his tactical adjustments in game as well are so underrated. He, I mean, in the last game alone, he changed formations, what, two, three times? And he's put Alfonso Davies on the right, on the left. Even if I had striker, he's played him. I mean... His tactical versatility, he just he knows so much about the game. He knows to, how to push all the right buttons with the players. It's just with the fans, with the media, with everyone. He's just he just does his job so damn well. Um, if you haven't had an opportunity to listen to the interview he did with the Athletic, uh, the Athletic Football Podcast, it's a it's a it's a UK podcast. Uh, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. I strongly recommend listening to it especially if you love john herdman like i do it's just listen like it's like it's listening to it's like listening to a preacher you know he's just he's just saying all the right things he gets me all warm and fuzzy inside um it's brilliant i love what he's done with the program i love the 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 edge and the chip on the shoulder they play with and the brotherhood that they allude to so often you see it on the pitch that's how you know it's not lip service because you see it they swarm there's a if there's a panamanian or uh, a Salvadoran or uh, a Mexican player who gets into a little scuffle with with one Canadian, he's actually he doesn't know it yet, but he's actually in a scuffle with eighteen or nineteen or twenty Canadians because they'll be swarming him within a few seconds. It's just nice to see a team that has each other's back like that. So you you, you can tell that there's been this culture that's instilled. It's yeah, a winning culture, especially from what we've come from. I mean, like I remember watching them when we were growing up, and it just felt like every game they would play, they felt scared. Like, you would look at the Canadian men's national team, and they actually looked scared. Mm -hmm. So, not only were they getting, they weren't getting results, but they weren't even putting out any type of aggression, like they cared. I mean, I'm not saying that they didn't care. They were a walk in the park to play against, is is the simple way to put it. They were Ah. easy to play against. They were easy to play against. That is the worst thing you can say about a team in any sport, is that they're easy to play against. And Canada now is the furthest thing from easy to play Agreed. against. They pose problems with their pace, with yep. their athleticism, with their physicality. They have an edge to them as well. They're they're strong. They're mentally tough. So you look at how many times in this World Cup qualifying cycle and in the Gold Cup have they fallen behind a goal and come back to either win or tie the game? How many times? It happens like... I feel like every yeah. this is an issue almost, actually. Almost every game. I they mean, gotta get off the better starts. Yeah, like, they do. <laughs> on a side note, like, can you stop getting scored on so early? Yeah, seriously. I mean, look, Honduras. Yeah, they went down, came back to tie. USA went down, came, came back, back to, tie. to tie. Mexico came down, Mexico. went down, came back yeah. to tie. Right there, you go. I mean, that's half the games of World Cup qualifying. Panama already. came down, went down, right. came back to win. Four right? to six games. Have, they've been they've conceded first. They've conceded first. And, and the only two games they result. haven't conceded first, they won three nothing and they drew nil nil. So they right. didn't concede in either of concede. those two games. In every game they've conceded, they've conceded first. Right. So 
It's kind of a crazy. That's kind of a crazy stat too, and the fact that they're still undefeated at this point, having conceded first in four of the six matches they've played, is kind of kind of a little bit it mind-boggling. Is. And I bet you, I mean, just off the top of my head, Martinique in the Gold Cup conceded early, right? Dominant win. Uh, Haiti, I don't remember if they conceded first in that match. I don't think they did. No, I don't think they did. But you get the point of like this is this is a team that's conceded. They're mentally Mexico strong as well. Mexico in the Gold Cup as well. Right. Conceded early, came back, ended up losing the 99th minute, but came back and battled their way back into the game and scored to tie it up. So this is a team that just has this character, has this edge, has this mental toughness and resilience. Yeah, they never give up. They're a tough team to play. You just believe in the team. Even if they go down, you know that they're going to fight back somehow. They might not come back next time if they're down against Mexico or Costa Rica. They might not get the result next time. But you know that they're going to put out everything that they have. And what a stark contrast that is from from previous iterations of our national team that just laid down and died the team that laid down and died right uh at uh at san pedro sula yeah, yeah right a team that laid down and died when we lost i think it was three nothing at bc place against mexico and we knew they were better than us and we just got embarrassed on our own pitch like i just it's so it's infuriating what we had to watch for so long and to see where we are now and to see even if you listen to, i listen to a lot of like whether it be podcasts or YouTube videos from American media, from Mexican media. The way the American media is very kind to us, but the way the Mexican media praises us, you know we're doing something right. Those guys think Canada is the ne- the best thing since sliced bread. They are so high on the Canadian team. They don't talk about the American team like that. I'll tell you that for sure. And that's coming from the team that you know for so long has owned the region. And they, the way they talk about this Canada team says everything you need to know about how difficult they are to play against and the types of problems they posed Mexico and the types the type of game that they played in the Azteca. I think if people's eyes weren't open before that, they sure as hell are now. Yeah, it's a really exciting time. And speaking of time, it's time for a new segment. Well, every segment's going to be a new segment. This is our first show. This is our inaugural episode. So every segment is a debut segment. So... You're welcome. Uh, we have a segment called our translated quote of the day, where we listen to our opposition's press conferences, and then we translate the quote that we pulled from their press conferences. Pretty self-explanatory. This one actually comes directly from Mexican striker Raul Jimenez. Uh, he sat down with ESPN Deportes nice. and was asked about playing uh, in a colder environment in Edmonton and what his... Uh, mood was heading into this match. We'll play the clip. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 He's excited. I think he's stoked to play in front of 50,000 fans. Oh, wow. And uh, that was it. Now, you have to keep in mind, that wasn't a direct translation. Um, sometimes with the translation... Some some of the nuance of what they say right. gets lost. In, right. Yeah, but it was like pretty close to yeah, what he said. For sure. Yeah. And so the Mexican team has been training in Indianapolis mm-hmm. ahead of their two fixtures. They're playing against their arch rivals, Canada, <laughs> after they play against some team called the U.S. Uh, in <laughs> in uh, in Ohio. So this is going to be a killer window for Mexico. It really is. Yeah, it really is. They can actually, they can leave this window knowing that they are the best team in the region, right? You come out of this window, if they come out of this window with even four points, 
That's fantastic. I mean, six points, they're already booking their ticket to Qatar. But like, four points would already be great. I think two points is what most of them would expect, right? Because they're both away games in America and in Canada. I was listening to um, some Mexican media, actual Mexican media. Um, That conversation came up. And it was kind of awkward because the question was posed. Like, well, so what's the expectation for this window? And deadpan guy guy looks in the camera and says man i think two points is realistic and the heat in the comment realistic. section from the mexican from the mexican faithful but um that's the reality of where they're at i mean they got right. two road games against the two other best performing teams in the region i don't think it's unrealistic to expect this to be a two-point window for mexico no no i don't either i think that's actually what i would expect for them to get out of this window i mean like like we said, it's it's a game in USA, right? It's a game in Canada. You know that the weather's going to be a problem in Canada. And it's just always... Uh, you can't expect a win against America in USA. You, you can't go in... You might come out with all three points, but I don't think you can go into that match expecting to come out with all three points. I agree with you. I think that, that they're, for the first time in a little while, maybe, right. a little bit worried about this window. Like, this window could, could potentially go south quickly. And... Uh, I think it would be, I mean, obviously we on the Canadian side of things hope that's the case because that's a huge match against the Mexicans. But before that, we got to talk about the biggest match in the window for Canada, which actually isn't the Mexico game. No. It's the Costa Rica game. Agreed. Yeah, it's it's definitely the Costa Rican game because that is a direct competitor for the third and final automatic spot to go to Qatar. I don't think that anybody would argue Mexico is definitely going to be going, finishing top three. You would match it. Right. So it would have to be for that third spot. There's Canada, Jamaica, Costa Rica, and Panama based off where they are right now. Panama's looked very good. I mean, I mean, you think Honduras, but they're starting to really like they took themselves kind of out of that loss at home against Jamaica is going to be rough. They're going to have to find a way win somewhere. And now they have a new manager, so we'll see how they rebound. But um, yeah, they're not in a good spot. I, I really do think this is like a like every every team is still in the race uh, oh, yeah. when it comes to you know. Every position other than Mexico's. Mexico, right. you figure, is going to be there, and they already have a little bit of a buffer. Yeah. Um, but every position from two all the way down to eight, I think there's going to be a lot of movement, more movement than people anticipate. Right. Um, and hopefully Canada's you know, not one of those teams that's moving all that much because this window for Canada, I mean, we talked about how many points you could expect from Mexico, but from Canada, if this is a four-point window, you're in a great spot. Right. But if this is a six-point window... Yeah, which is possible, right? No, let's not get ahead of ourselves, but it's definitely possible. Canada's very likely going to be in first in the Ocho after this window if they turn this into six points, because yeah. that would put Canada to it sixteen would, points. But would put Canada to sixteen. Uh, the Americans play against Mexico in this first match, so right. let's say that match ends in a draw. Right. If I that guess- match ends in a draw, Canada's already. Guaranteed to be ahead of both of those teams. Yeah, if the USA fail to win one of their two games and Canada win both, Ken will be in first after it, the end of this window. Yeah, and and the same goes. Yeah, exactly because they, they obviously they play Mexico, so right. they have that that much is in Canada's control. So there's a very possible scenario where after three windows of the octagonal, Canada may be alone in first place. Yeah, after eight games with six games left. No more games in Mexico, no more games in USA, and they're leading the octagonal. Yeah, so that's possible. That's what's at stake here, because the flip side of the coin is they really struggle. I don't think there's... 
I would be very, very, very surprised if they got zero, but they struggle. Let's say they draw Costa Rica, they lose to Mexico, right. and it's a one-point window. And that, like, obviously, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that would kind of be a nightmare. Right. Then you're seeing 11 points after three windows. Canada certainly drops back uh, behind at least one team, you figure. And now you're playing catch-up with four road matches and only two home matches remaining. So that's a little... This is why I've said this to you many times off-air. This is Canada's biggest window. And some people would say it's a two... It's a two-match window. Like, how could it be the most important window? Because the nature of where you are in the cycle, right. so far, what you've done and what is to come, this window sets up your final six matches. And if they perform well, they take so much pressure off themselves for those final six. Mm-hmm. And if they don't perform well, they're going to have to be catching up and making points up on the road and turning draws into wins and having to be to open themselves up to be more susceptible to push for three points against teams that maybe otherwise they would love to play for a draw. Right. So this is a huge, huge, huge window. Make no mistake about it. I know that USA was able to go down to Honduras and pick up three points, but you do not want to be going to Central America needing three points. No. Even El Salvador is a really tough place to play. None of those four matches that they have remaining on the road, you want to be in, a, in any position where you have to win. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, and agreed. unfortunately, I do think the way it's going to work out, they probably are going to have to win at least one road match. But I, depending on how they do right. in this window, I mean, if they win these two... We said it earlier, like you're going to Qatar. Yeah. I, I believe that. I really I do. do. 16 points. The, the, the magic With six number, games left. Yeah, it's probably going to be around 21, 21 right. we figure. So five points from six matches with your two toughest away matches out of the way. Right. Man, that's, yeah, you're going to Qatar. Yeah. So that's, that's what's at stake. Which is kind of crazy to think about. Which is completely crazy to think about. That's what's at stake, though. Like, for those of you who are going to be, I know, watching in this window, that's how important these two matches are. It's the difference between we're, we're going to Qatar and like, holy, what a nightmare. We're playing catch up and hopefully we can get the fourth spot uh, if, you know, things go really south and uh, and play in an inter-federational uh, playoff. Like, that's how bad things can get if Canada drops a whole bunch of points at home here. Yeah. And diving a little deeper into these matchups, I mean... In the Mexico versus El Salvador game, both Raul Jimenez and Hirving Lozano, they both got yellow cards. Which would obviously mean a yellow against the Americans would have them out against Canada. So that's something to watch, keep an eye out for. Um, I believe it's just Steven Eustachio for Canada who's on a yellow. Uh, at least of all the super important players, he's the one to look out for. I've even had some people suggest that maybe Canada would go without Eustachio against Costa Rica. In my opinion... That's the must-win game, so I'm not saving anything for Mexico in terms of, like, I need to win against Agreed. Costa Rica. So like, I'm putting my best line Best 11s against Costa Rica. I yeah. agree. I, it would be great to beat Mexico, but, like, the, the one that we really need has got to be the first. And uh, and so, for that reason, Eustachio will play in my mind. Um, but definitely, we know the Mexicans, if for no other reason than for pride... They love to play their best against the U.S. They love to put their best 11 out. So the odds are you're going to see Lozano and you're going to see Jimenez both start or definitely feature at the very least in that match. And maybe, if we're lucky, one of them will be playing in Edmonton because they'll pick up another card. Um, another missing. notable... Oh, sorry. Yes. No, no, no. This is just a, off the top of my head. Uh, Montez will be missing for Mexico as well due to a late scratch. He was injured. He is a first-choice center back for them, so that's yeah. kind of a big deal. They do have depth in that position, um, so we'll see 
you know, how they sort of cope with that loss. Uh, but that's something to look out for if you're Canada. Yeah. My thinking is that they're probably going to replace him with Johan Vasquez, who just recently got transferred over to Genoa. And uh, I think he's going to slot right in for Montez. It's still, a, a, Montez has been kind of a, an experienced guy. And he's actually been very good in World Cup qualifying so far. Um, he's played in five of the six matches for Mexico. Um, so this is a guy who they've leaned on. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, every one of their road matches, he's played the full 90 in. So a guy who they've leaned on in the past, uh, one of their rocks at the back won't be there. So big, that's pretty big news for Canada in and of itself. You know, a little bit more vulnerable at the back line, or maybe there's going to be uh, less cohesion, less camaraderie, less experience between this the, the defenders of this Mexican back line. Maybe something Canada can exploit. But then again, Canada's going to be introducing a new player in Ugbo. Uh, so that's, right. you know, like there, there's, there's going to be moving pieces for both teams. Just things to consider heading into that match. Speaking and, of, how much time do you think Ugbo's going to be getting in these... In this window, I think he gets into both matches. I don't think he starts either match. I would say my conservative guess is he's going to get twenty minutes in each match. Yeah, I, I think he gets into the Costa Rica game no matter what the score is. Uh, I don't think I can't imagine a situation where Uba won't be brought in against Mexico. I'm not sure. It's going to depend also like the the, the game script, right? right. Like, are, are we winning? Are we losing? Like obviously, the fa- there are factors right um, at play. But I agree with you. He's one hundred percent getting into one. I of don't these think games, he's starting exactly. But I don't think he's starting. No. Uh, but they brought him in to contribute right away. This yeah, guy's playing at, Gan- at Gank. He's playing. He just played in uh, Europa League against West Ham. Like this dude can play at a high level. He's good enough, definitely, to be in the squad. Uh, you could argue he's good enough to be in the first team. So right. there, this is a guy who they didn't bring in to sit on the bench they brought him into play and I think that you know at least as a striker it's not like maybe a center back where you need that longer period to acclimate especially with like new center back part a new center back partner or new you know play playing with a new goalkeeper for the first time those are very difficult transitions right but for a striker I mean he's a center forward he lines up between the center backs he likes to play between the lines obviously there's going to be some some growing pains like there would be with any new player but it, there's less of that certainly with a guy whose job is to just score goals, and he's a poacher type too. Yeah. So I don't think it's it's going to be like uh, a difficult transition for him to play for Canada. And it's going to help that both games are in Edmonton. He's going to be able to train with the team. It's not like there's any travel involved where he's going to miss days of training. I think I think it's going to be I think it's a great window to get him in into the mix. Really. I, I agree. And also, how have we not mentioned uh, the, the big injury for Costa Rica? Kaylor Navas right. will not be with the team, so that's he. Huge news, huge news. And if you've missed that somehow, um, Kaylor Navas will not be he won't with be the Costa Rican national team uh, for either of their matches in this window. He suffered an injury uh, at PSG. Um, I don't know how because he never plays. But but uh, <laughs> that's I have to throw their shots every once in a while just to keep the uh, the other fans in the region humble. But um, Navas won't be there. He's obviously a world class keeper. Um, this is a big loss for Costa Rica. We saw them, fortunately, in the Gold Cup without Navas, and we took advantage of that. Although I did think they had good goalkeeping in that match, and the goals that we scored were really good goals. Yeah. It probably should have been more than 2 nothing in that match in favor of Canada, but surely this is one of those moments where John Herdman and his men are going to exhale a little bit, not having to line up across from the PSG men. Right. Yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm really excited for these, this upcoming window specifically, 
at home against Costa Rica, at home against Mexico. It might be a little controversial, but I think we have the best team going into both games. Honestly, <laughs> that was I that think... was the uh, that was for you, Mexico fans. That was the old tree fans are just they they love us. There are they're the they sustain our platform. So if we don't throw at least one thing like that out there every episode, we we might not have enough followers to continue this series. In all honesty, though, I wouldn't trade the Canadian roster for the Mexican roster. I know you tweeted that, and it was like that was like kind of kind of like received by some people well and by others not so well. It's still controversial I, because I think that a few people yeah. are still starting to get to grips with how good this Canadian men's national team really is. I think part Quiet. of it... Okay, so like... Can we dive into this for one second? Because I want to give this more, you know, airtime than maybe uh, a tweet, right? The assumption that the average player on the Canadian team is far below the average player on the Mexican team because we would all agree like Canada's star, star players, they have the best superstar. Right. Right? They have, maybe they have the best stars with Jonathan David, the form he's in right now. Uh, You could argue they have, you know, two of the most informed or two of the best players in the region. So then the assumption would have to be, well, the rest of the players on Mexico are better than the rest of the players on Canada. But even that, I'm kind of scratching my head about a little bit now because it's like you watch Steven Eustachio play and that dude's playing in a good league. He's playing in a league that's better in Liga MX, where a lot of the team on the Mexican national team is you know, coming from, especially as you start to get back towards the back line. And like there are positions of weakness for the Mexican team. I don't think their back line is very strong at all. They have like no fullbacks who are any anything to speak about. Whereas Canada, I would take like five Canadian fullbacks before on my team. Before I would take one. There are guys who are sitting at home playing FIFA in their basement right now who are Canadian who would probably be starting for the Mexican. Like Zachary Brogayard and Christian Gutierrez arguably start at fullback for Mexico. So I think we need to kind of like give ourselves a little bit of a reality check of where we're at. There are very, very good players who are on this Canadian national team who are better than the clubs they play for. Exactly. Right. Which is a big factor. But like Alistair Johnson plays for Nashville, but he's a championship level player in England. I mean, that's where the the rumors have been, but like he could play at that level, right? Mark Anthony Cape can play at a level above MLS. Every time I watch the guy play, how's he, how's he playing in in MLS though? Because, his ball progression and the amount of ground he covers and just like everything he does, he's just a good player. Richie he, Larea, oh Richie, we, we the can fact go. that Toronto FC has Richie Larea <laughs> and has had him for this long, I can't, I can't believe it. One of Richie the, Larea can actually, if he was playing in the Premier League, he would be talked about weekly about how big clubs should be looking at buying. Him. I 100% agree. This we, this is also you guys are going to start to get to uh, know more about us as we do these episodes, but. We are like the we captain the Richie Larea fan club. <laughs> we we captain that shit. Like it's we basically we basically fly a plane around the Greater Toronto area with a big flag out of the back <laughs> saying Richie Larea for president. Uh, because we we like he's he does everything. He covers ground. Yeah. He's fast. He's athletic. He's strong offensively. Strong defensively. He's the best foul drawer I've ever seen in my life. Like seriously would put Lionel Messi to shame at just drawing fouls. Don't people would maybe suggest that that's not a skill. I implore you to watch Richie Larea play on any given day, whether it be for TFC or for the national team. Trust me, that is a skill. There are games where Alfonso Davies is playing, Tejan Buchanan's playing, Jonathan Davis playing. 
And Richie LaRay is the best player on the field. Like, you just... I can't speak enough about the guy. Really, really, really talented player. Don't know how he's still in MLS. Uh, as a guy who, you know, follows Toronto FC and supports them as well, um, I don't complain about that because, I, you know, he's a very good player. But I would love for him to make a move to Europe because he's just one of those guys that has no business being in MLS. Right, exactly. And honestly, I feel like we have a lot of players who are playing at a lower level, but we know that they have the ability to play at a higher level. So other nations, they might look at our team, they'll look at our roster, they'll see what our, where our players are playing, and they'll underestimate us. Meanwhile, I, I think every single player we have is capable of playing at a higher level. I don't think anyone on the roster is playing at a level that's too high for them. A great example is Tejon Buchanan. Is like he made this right. move to Club, Club Bruges. Bruges or Bruges, I think they say it. I don't even know. Anyways, the Belgian champions, um, perennial powerhouse of Belgium. That's a good step for him, but it is not the step that he could have taken. I remember saying I was disappointed. I remember tweeting yeah. how I was disappointed when he was moving over to Belgium, not because it's a bad move, but because I believe that he can play at a higher level. This might be a perfect move for him where he gets a lot of minutes, he's going to be successful, and it'll launch him to an even bigger club. But uh, I think, like, we all agreed, he could have made, made that jump now. Like, he oh, yeah. could have gone to the Bundesliga and had success. I, I watch so. that league every single week. He, he can play, he would star in that league. Like, he is a very good player. You know, maybe not right away, day one, jump in the starting lineup and play 90 minutes a night, but... That's a guy who, in one or two years from now, is going to be on a big club, whether, I think, with the path he took through Club Bruges, or maybe had he gone direct to a team like Freiburg, or ended up in Serie A, like, that dude belongs at the highest level. He's a very, 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 very good player. Undervalued, again, another guy, we've talked about it many times, undervalued by his passport, most likely. Like, even if you look at something like his transfer value, I think it's like seven and a half million. I saw. I think. I think Daryl DK is like eleven. Just for in case you were wondering. Like, again, I, I laugh in my head, but it's just that's just the reality of being a Canadian player versus you know some of these other nationalities. Being an American player, and when there's so many other factors that go into purchasing players, marketing factors, and just you know TV rights deals, and when you look at the American audience versus the Canadian audience, these are all factors that we talk about. But the end result is we have guys who are really damn good who are playing maybe a level below where they should be playing. A right. lot of them. Whether it be the MLS contingent on this team that, that ranges from Kamal Miller to Mark Anthony Kay to Richie Larea to Alistair Johnston, so on and so forth. It, there's a, it's a long list. And then, obviously, the Tejan Buchanan's of the world, the Steven Eustachios of the world who's stuck in a you know mid-table Portuguese team where he probably should be on a top club in Portugal there were rumors about Napoli. Like, I think he can play at a club that's at that level. I really do. I do. And if he was American, he probably would have had the opportunity to do that. We're not quite there yet, but we're getting there. So many reasons to be encouraged. So I know that we feel pretty good about where Canada's at so far in terms of what what they've done. Ten points, through two windows. Maybe a few more draws than we would have hoped, but they're in a pretty good spot. But I want to ask, who scares you the most? of the teams in that chase pack, Panama, Costa Rica, Jamaica, El Salvador, and Honduras, who is the team that you figure has the biggest potential to kick Canada out of the top three? In all honesty, I'm, I'm pretty confident that we do come top three, but of those teams, I think it would have to be Costa Rica. They've only lost twice so far against USA and Mexico. If they were to come to Canada and they somehow beat us in Canada, 
I mean, at that point, they're only two points behind us, and they still have. We have to go over to Costa Rica, and they've had a tough schedule at this point. I mean, they've had a pretty tough schedule. I think it has to be Costa Rica, but in all honesty, I'm not too concerned about any of the chasing pack. I think that we are much better than we give ourselves credit for. We're for those of you again who are probably hearing our voices for the first time. Uh, David's the notorious optimist, and I'm I'm usually the pessimist. Like. He had to talk me off the ledge when we were preparing for Suriname. I was, I, this guy, I was like, I was like going deep, deep into like the dark web to find out like about Bisaswar and Sherry <laughs> and like these random dudes, Hasselbank and like their goal scoring record and like the third division of Israel and like it was, I was in a dark place and, uh, <laughs> you know, and he was like, dude, like, you know, it's, it's Suriname. Like, I think you need that sometimes. So, no, he, okay. Well, with no, all the respect a, to Suriname, they have a lot of talent. Like, they just brought over. I know they had Hops, who yeah, now yeah, plays yeah. in Venezia. No, no, okay. They have, they have some guys for sure. I'm just saying, like, of our, our dynamic, because I'm very much the pessimist. Right. And you're very much the optimist. Right. I always, I always like, think about what could what could go wrong and you're you're a little bit more bullish about where we're at right. which is which is fine and, and maybe that comes down to just like i've kind of followed canada soccer a little longer so mm-hmm. i i have like i said i have that kind of canada soccer ptsd that you have only parts of yeah you were, there, you were around for honduras growing up, growing you were around up, for italy more yeah no i know and, and you were so you were there for the honduras loss you were there for the haiti loss yeah but there like there's a lot in between those and even prior to those that maybe you didn't feel quite as much. Right. So maybe that's where that comes from. Um, but yeah, I, I for me, the teams that scare me the most, pro- I'm not going to say Panama, and, and it's funny because they've proved to have a tough uh, fortress to play in, in Panama City. We've already seen the Americans make that trip and leave with zero points. They've gone into Jamaica and they've gotten three points in Jamaica, which is a trip that we made and could not do that. So they have some encouraging results. Obviously, beating them in Toronto was massive. I do think it was fortunate, though, that first game when they got the win because that was the first game where Jamaica was an entirely new group. You can tell they had never played together. They looked out of sync. I mean, it, I think it, it almost looked like too, they were playing some men's league team. But if we're just talking... They were, they were bad. But if we're just talking about results... That's a team that the results have been good. Like they're in a good Panama's in a yeah, good spot. Yeah, they are spot. in a very good spot. Uh, in terms of just where they've gotten their results and where they've dropped their points. I, I mean, obviously losing to Canada, who's one of the teams that they're going to be competing with, was a stinger for them. But again, they've gone in. They've they've the points they've dropped have been against the big teams in the region, and they've picked up points that you have not expected. Like a three against the U.S., three against Jamaica. Both of those games. Uh, you know, I'm sure they would have been content with one hosting the U.S. They would have definitely been content with one on the road at Jamaica, right? And they take three from both of those. So that's that's a team that even though we beat them in Toronto, we got to eventually make that trip to Panama City. Right. That's not a comfortable trip as we've seen from our American friends. So this is this is a team that scares me, and they have they have a little bit, you know, more legs than a Costa Rican team that's just very aging. Um, they are a Jamaican team that is just completely discombobulated. I think although they have, recently they have picked it up a little bit. I mean, they did beat Honduras, who's another team that's discombobulated. Right. I, I, the, the bottom three for me are, are I, I don't think are as competitive. And people would fight me on the Jamaica one, but Jamaica are they have the talent, but they have 
zero clue what they're doing and how to play with one another. I haven't seen any. Even when we played them in Jamaica, they didn't look like a team that knew what they were doing. No, like they're it's an ugly brand that they play. They don't. They can't string two passes together. They kick the ball down the field. They they finish the game with like sixty three percent pass completion. That's just what they do. And they play for set pieces. And they're big and they're athletic, so they can bury you on set pieces. But outside of that, they basically have nothing going forward. Um, so they don't really scare me, to be honest with you. But but Costa Rica does to an extent, especially if they can get three points in this match at Canada. That would be huge for them. Uh, Panama scares me the most. And then El Salvador, I just don't think have the quality to hang really when it comes down to it. And Honduras I, I, scares me in terms of having to go get a result at San right. Pedro Sula. But, and we'll see how they are. I think they just put themselves in pretty weak spot to They're come third spot. to come yeah. third I think they could still come fourth easily they scare me in that we have to play them still yeah. and I think that they're a tough team they're to only five points behind fourth place yeah, yeah I know no, but nothing's been decided yet for sure no. like this, it's people, very early still and they sacked their manager frankly early enough in this process that they can turn things around still right and yeah. if anybody's manager had to get sacked I was expecting it to be Jamaica's because I just don't I, they have way too much talent to be as bad as they are yeah um and uh, and their best performances, funny enough, have come without their best players. Like their best performance of World Cup qualifying so far. Yep. I mean, you could argue last game against Honduras, but I would actually say it was probably playing a draw with Mexico up until the 89th minute uh, at the Azteca. Like that result would have been just as impressive as Canada's, and they did it without all of their stars. They did it without Bailey. They did it without Antonio. They did it without basically all their top European based players. So. They've had a couple of results where you can kind of point to and say, hey, like that's what they could be. But then all of the games in between, they just look like a mess. So I don't really consider them like a team that scares me. I'm not, Jamaica's not keeping me up at night. I think Panama, I would put first, and Costa Rica, the, the same order there in the standings is how scared I am of those teams currently. Mm. I agree. I think I would put Costa Rica. It's all based on what they do against Canada in Canada. But they don't have Navas either. And like, that's a. Maybe for most teams, losing your goalkeeper is not, you know, the end of the world. But when your goalkeeper is far and away your best player and your leader, I, I don't know, your most experienced player, like, I, I think it's a pretty big deal. I agree. But if they come out of this match, even with a draw, a draw, you're only four points behind. You still get to host Canada. I don't think Panama. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think they got off to a very, very but they good play, start. They play... I mean, there was a stretch of that game. Canada was by far the better team in Toronto, but there was a stretch in that game, and again, we were both in the stadium. Canada couldn't touch the ball for like... I know. Like, they for were... about 15-minute stretch, it, it looked they like they were in trouble. They couldn't touch the damn ball. Like, and, and that's a road performance. Talk about taking the sting out of the game. Obviously, Canada ends up getting the momentum, and it was through an incredible individual effort from Alfonso Davies. And then they kind of pile it on. Once they had the lead, it was curtains. You had a feeling it was just gonna, it was always gonna expand. Um, but while that game was tied at one, there was a long stretch of possession for Panama where it they was. pinged it, were pinging it up up about the pitch, and then they were pinging it all the way back into their own half. And for me, that shows a team that has kind of an idea of how to go get a result when they need one, because they were playing the right way to get a result. And if it wasn't for a really brilliant play by Davies. And kind of that whole momentum shift that came with it, that was a that was a one-one draw potentially, and yeah. it, not a deserved one, but they would have got the point, yeah. you know. I think 
So I can't disagree. That's a team that like they, they they scared me a little bit, and I think playing them in Panama City again, they're not going to play a sexy brand necessarily, but they have enough quality and they have enough going for them in terms of their the way their identity, the way they want to play as a team. Um, they kind of remind me of El Salvador in that sense, where they're a little bit more structured. But I just think they have more top end talent than El Salvador, and yeah. that's the difference between between those two teams. And then the other team, Honduras, I don't know what's going on. Jamaica just never has looked like a team to me, and and Costa Rica's old and really a good team, but old. And in these three match yeah. windows, especially, you notice it. We're unfortunate in that we have to get them in the first match of a two match window. Right. But in three match windows, man, by the third match, like you got the retirement home out there, and they're just like I'm like they should give complimentary gas masks to the players on the field to just catch their their breath because they look they look winded. By the, by the 50th minute in the third match of the windows. And if I'm not mistaken, both of their third matches in the first two windows, you can fact check me on this, I'm pretty sure they lost both of them. I know they for sure lost against the U.S. I watched that game. Um, they looked dead. They looked dead tired. They actually came out flying, scored early, and they looked dead tired. And in the, in the match prior, it was actually a 1-1 draw against Jamaica. So they have one point from two matches in the final matches. And Jamaica, with all due respect has been horrible in, in World Cup qualifying so far. Especially in that first window. I mean, no, that, that was that was the worst that was the worst team I've ever seen in the final round of a of World Cup qualifying cycle. They they looked awful. They looked awful. So to only get a point out of that match, again, by the time they hit those third matches, those old tired legs, I don't know that they can hang with, with these teams in the region. And so again, a little bit lucky maybe that they only have a two match window and they get to meet Canada in this in this window as opposed to another one. But I don't really think that they have the legs to, to be a consistent threat. I think it's going to be really interesting seeing Costa Rica and Mexico come to Edmonton. Can we end, can we end the show on this topic? Because <laughs> this is my favorite topic. <laughs> this is, um, yeah. The Herdman summarized it pretty well, actually. Basically being asked by a Mexican reporter like, you know, Lozano and, and Jimenez and some of these other players who play in Europe, they're used to cold weather. They play in in England and Italy and and Herden goes on this long you know long-winded answer as he as he normally does and at the end sort of says but hey just so you know Edmonton winter or Edmonton cold it's different. is different than than England cold and Italy cold and I just thought that was really you know it was kind of one of those lighter moments from Herdman that we we're, we're so accustomed to but it, it's he's he's not lying like if you haven't been to Edmonton I, I was just really recently in Calgary. It's not quite Edmonton, but pretty damn close. Um, it gets cold. It gets very, very cold. It's a different type of cold. Um, it gets cold here in the GTA, but it's a different type of cold over there. And especially at this time of year, you're getting winter weather essentially in mid-November. They don't have... That's not the weather that, you know... Lozano is playing in that in Napoli. That's I not think the I weather saw the that projected temperature for that game against Mexico to be around minus eleven. Or yeah, feels like minus feels like 11. minus eleven. Like I'm sorry, like those guys are, you know, for a lot of these guys, they that they've never they've probably never felt negative weather in their life, and to to be playing in minus eleven, um, people have suggested it's not a big factor. I don't see how it wouldn't be. How could that not be a big factor, right? If there ends up being sleet on the pitch, if there ends up being snow, like. Right, because they'll be on turf as well. Yeah, it will. And the Canadians, every single player in that roster, for the most part, at some point or another, has played on a snow-covered turf. Davies probably played on them all the time. I've played on snow turf, so I know everyone on that team. Those are professional footballers. They've all, growing up, played on 
snow-covered turf at, at some one point. point or another. At some yeah. point. So that's got to be an advantage. Yeah, like, I would think could so. Could you imagine? And could, practicing every day. And, and, and the players in Mexico have never. Could you imagine? You, you, uh, the analogy I'll use is this. You have places in the world that don't get rain, for example. And in those places that don't get rain, whenever it does rain, and the rare occasion, there's all these like crazy there's car accidents all over the place because no one knows how to drive in the rain. That's kind of the situation here. They're not accustomed to it. These these players are not accustomed to playing on in this on this surface. So the way the ball skips, the way their cleats are going to react to the, you know how how hard they have to dig in to turn, all those sort of things that if you're growing up in Canada and you've played soccer in the winter, you've played on turf before, you've experienced in one way or another. If you're growing up playing in Costa Rica or in Mexico, you haven't. So it's like that place that doesn't get a lot of rain, that the first rainfall it gets, you know, all year, no one knows how to drive and everyone's getting in car accidents. That's kind of that's kind of what I expect this game to look like. If it does in fact snow or if it's very cold, you're going to have one team that sort of is to a certain extent accustomed to that right. and another team who just has no idea what the hell is going on. Right. That's how I see and, and a great example. Forge Forge just played against uh, what Santos right. from Costa Rica, and 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 that game was what it finished three nothing for Forge. After they lost the first leg in Santos by two goals, they won the return leg in Hamilton by three goals, and it, it wasn't even that cold. But you could tell how it affected the players who just had no experience with that weather. It did, and that's similar circumstances really, right? Because it was cold, and they were playing on turf. Yeah, and except the difference is that was zero degree cold and this is going to be you know, minus 11 <laughs> it feels like minus 11 so even that like I just don't see how it's not a factor so that that was I had to touch I wanted to touch on that before we ended it because uh, some people have said that it's not it's not a factor why are we why are we playing it up to be a factor it's absolutely a factor do yeah. not lie to yourself final prediction Canada versus Costa Rica and Canada versus Mexico let's, um, let's say Canada versus Costa Rica what do you say I, I, I actually I'm not the bullish one but I actually in my heart, believe that they're winning both games. So I'm going to say 2-0 against Costa Rica and 2-1 against Mexico. Hmm. I believe they're... I, I think that's a huge... I think the weather's a factor. Yeah. I think the fact that they're playing at home is a factor. Yeah. Um, I, I don't I don't think you're going to get anything close to the best-looking Mexican side in those conditions. I like both your score lines, actually. I was yeah. about to say. I like both your score lines. I think they're winning both games. I think and, I agree with both scorelines. And like, but I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be disappointed if they got four at all by no, any me means. Either. I actually wouldn't even really be disappointed if they got three because again, stuff happens. Stuff happens. Right. If they lose to Mexico and beat Costa Rica, if you if you ask me if I would take that right now, I think I would because that win against Costa Rica is gold. It means right. so much. The Mexico game would be a cherry on top, but the win against Costa Rica is gold. So I would probably take three. I'd be happy with four, like you know, significantly more happy with four. But I think. They can get six. I think I think so as well. And uh, I and, think you know, we will. And hopefully it doesn't explode in our face. Um, and they get one. And then the L Tree fans. At the very worst, we're gonna get another like three hundred followers on Twitter from L Tree fans. So there's this is a win win. Uh, <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, I'm excited about this window. Um, this is our first time doing this, so you know we're gonna work out the kinks. We're gonna play it by ear and see how it goes and and have fun with it. But uh, we appreciate the support thus far. And we're going to keep creating episodes until you guys tell us to shut up because we're annoying you. And uh, maybe sooner. But uh, thank you for supporting so far to this point. We really appreciate it. I'll speak on behalf of both of us. We really appreciate it. 
and uh, and keep engaging with us on Twitter. Look out for more of these. We'll uh, we'll definitely drop a new episode soon. I'm thinking after the window makes the most sense, uh, as opposed to you know between the window. There's just not going to be a whole lot to talk right. about between the two matches. So we'll wait till after both matches are done. I think that's the goal to get you guys something after uh, the Mexico match. But anyways, without further ado, I'm signing off. Uh, it's been real. Davey, any last words? No, nothing else really. Just take care, and I hope you guys are ready to see us take home six points this window. <laughs>